0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One.
1: If you like Real GM Radio, you're going to love the official Lakers podcast on Podcast One. Join host Mike Trudell and co-host Aaron Larsoul every Monday night as they discuss the Lakers news of the day, break down the games from the week, and have exclusive interviews from players, coach, and staff. So don't miss the official Lakers podcast every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Welcome to Real GM Radio, I am Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Seth Partnow, now of The Athletic, which is super exciting, and this early in the season, don't want to get too nuts about who who's great, who's not. And so what Seth and I go through mostly is what we look for in the early going. And he wrote some great pieces at The Athletic if you haven't read them yet. And then we get into a bunch of different topics, various different things, specific teams and general ideas of how to build teams. And we also talk a little bit about his recent work on officiating with John Hollinger and then a little bit about scheduling because it was something we had talked about that day. Podcast runs about hour fifteen, brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Use that podcast one promo code for a fifty percent welcome bonus. And CBS Sports HQ. Just download the CBS Sports app in whatever streaming platform you use and you can check it out. Hope you really enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on.
0: Thanks for having me. This is uh it's it's it hasn't even been that long. It it's been much uh, much more brief interlude this time than between the the second to last time and the last time we we talked on yeah, one of these. Yeah, I Yeah,
1: I, I, I wonder why that could be. But
0: I don't know. Some happened.
1: Yeah, so I think some did, and I, I wanted to okay. have you on. I mean. It's so funny to because I think of real jam radio and dunked on as very different entities, and part of it is that I try to make this show big picture, and I like having you on this is something we used to do back before you back when you could do this. In this early stage to be to be kind of the, you and I can help calibrate people to not fly too far. I mean, we both have ties back to hardwood proxism and there was this great thing called the overreactionizer. And I've always thought of the two of us as kind of like the anti-overreactionizers. And what I mean by that is just understanding that parts of what has happened so far are real, absolutely unequivocally. Other parts of it are more about small sample size or non-representative samples, something of that nature. And separating out those two can be really difficult and I slash we get it wrong sometimes. That's the way this works. But you wrote a really good piece for The Athletic about what stabilizes early. And a lot of that, like, I got really interested in the stuff about shot location.
0: Yeah, it's basically, uh, you know, teams develop, uh, for lack of a better term, an identity of, of how they're going to play pretty quickly. Um, and that and that means, you know, what what kind of, you know, their base defensive coverage is. So the kinds of shots that they're going to uh, induce more frequently, the kinds of shots they're going to get on offense. Um, obviously, all of these things are kind of at the intersection of kind of of scheme and talent and stuff. Uh, you know, everyone wants to just, you know, get dunks all the time. But, you know, that's not really possible because the other team is trying. Um, but yeah, so but those things like tend to, to, to sort themselves up pretty quickly in a season. Especially, you know, especially on offense, like where you're going to, you know, the types of shots your team is going to get. Uh, you can figure that out pretty quickly. I think we have a, you know, barring, you know, teams that have had major injuries or absences or are going to make trades. I mean, we're kind of seeing this, the shots teams have gotten so far are probably pretty close to the shots they're going to continue to get for most of the rest of the season. We're, we're far enough into the season uh, to see that. Um, you know, obviously, like a team like the Pellies, like, something could happen where uh, there's there's a drastic change in how they're playing on both ends of the floor because, you know, there's this, this Zion guy who hasn't who hasn't played yet who might have an impact on that. But, you know, barring things like that, you know, teams are doing kind of what they're going to do. Uh, we don't know how well they're going to do them yet, but we kind of know what teams are going to be trying to do.
1: Right, and that goes in the positive and the negative directions, sometimes in the case of the same team, just depending on, on what yeah. they're trying to do. and. And something you got into in that piece, which is important to note, is some people try to use exceptions for various things as like counter as counters to say that something isn't true. And, and like, I mean, I think the easiest way to explain this is mid-rangeers. There are players who are very good at making mid-range <coughs> shots, and who can turn what is in many cases a bad shot into an okay, or even in some cases a pretty good. I think that's probably about as far as I'd go. Shot, and those are the exceptions that prove the rule. Special players make bad shots better, and they can make good shots, great shots, and all those sorts of things. But by and large, if you're running on the the law of large numbers and just how it works over the course of a season, unless you have the perfect confluence of talent for that sort of a thing – it is fair to calibrate, you know, the shots that you're giving up and the shots that you're getting by location as having some predictive quality in terms of how like a predictive, let's say, of your effective field goal percentage, not necessarily of offensive rating because things like turnovers, which last year's San Antonio Spurs were a great example of, can also be important.
0: Yeah, no, I think I think that's right. And and there's kind of you know, you you talked about the perfect confluence, I think, in in in, you know, that the the how soon to panic piece, I think there are I think I do have an example of like the perfect confluence. Like, you're a, a team, we're still at the point of the season where if your team has played Houston, your defensive shot profile is going to be a little bit, is going to be, uh, is going to look worse than maybe it is because, you know, Houston doesn't make the, sh- doesn't, their shot selection is not like anyone else's. Um, there are teams that are getting closer in terms of volume of three pointers, but in terms of, Screw it. Let it fly. I don't care how covered I am. Three pointers. There's no one within a country mile of them. And there hasn't been for the last four years. So yeah, I mean, a great example. So
1: right now using cleaning the glasses filter. The Rockets have taken fifteen point seven percent of their shots in, from mid range, either either floater range or long twos. The next lowest team is twenty three percent, the Milwaukee Bucks. That is incredible. Like they're they're seven they're seven percentage points past the entire league.
0: Oh, the the um, I, I think the, the the thing that I found uh, in, in researching that piece that was really interesting is, uh, for the last couple of years, the the Houston has not only taken the most unassisted three pointer attempts of any team in the league but the gap between them and second has been uh, in just in terms of like like raw volume of attempts uh the gap between them and the second place team has been basically as large between the second best, the second highest team in unassisted three point attempts and the average team it's their their they are just th- their decision on 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 you know that that's just to illustrate kind of their decision on on uh i'm sorry i say i'm just i meant i meant contested threes um their their decision on to 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 let it fly despite defensive pressure is just categorically different than other teams and so where you know most teams will tell you if you guard the three-point line well enough by not shooting houston's just going to take a is you know this is a little bit reductive but houston's going to shoot it anyway and just not shoot as well so they're they're kind of uh, if you're if you're looking at again defensive shot location as a as a proxy for you know how effective your defense has been, Houston is gonna is gonna foul those numbers if you you know if you only played five six seven games and one of those games has been against the Rockets, um, that's a that's a pretty big part of your sample where like kind of the normal heuristic you might use is just not useful because the opponent doesn't behave. Uh, in any, in any way, like 29 other teams do, just in terms of, of oh, you're close enough to bother the shot, I'm going to do something else, whereas Houston is, oh, you're close enough to bother the shot, so I guess my shot is going to be bothered.
1: Right, and Houston, their early part of the season is just so fascinating to me because we talked a little bit about their shot distribution and how zealous they are towards that. Right now, the Rockets are 28th in the league in three-point shooting percentage, so how many of them they're actually making. They are dead last in making mid-range shots 30.2% and yet despite all of that and this is just so extreme they're still ninth in offensive rating because I mean they have with Russ on the floor they've done a little bit more in transition which is great but also they don't turn the ball over kind of do the structure of their offense and they get to the free throw line an absolute ton and so it is it's just striking and yeah there's a reasonable argument especially when you replace Chris Paul with Russell Westbrook that their three-point shooting will be worse than it was last year but They're kind of this weird, it's not a bizarro Spurs, but this idea that there are different ways to succeed on offense. And in their case, to me, it's there are ways to succeed in spite of the just randomness that can be a part of the sample.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's again that 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 percentage stuff is is the kind of thing that we don't know yet. Like, you know, I I don't think I don't think James Harden is going to shoot like what's he shooting at this point from three. Is he still in the 20s? Like, I don't think he's going to end up. In the twenties from, from three or for the for the full season. You know, just like Clay started this started the year badly last year and then ended up, you know, you know, maybe like right around where he normally because, you know, he starts starts badly, then has the one game where he was at fourteen he hit against the Bulls in the in, in uh right around the actually right around this time last year, if I remember correctly, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, but I
1: believe it was. Um, and and yeah, no, a hard yeah. numbers, he's at twenty five percent right now. His career low is thirty five percent.
0: Yeah. So I mean, now some of that is he's just he's he's leaning so far into he hasn't actually like busted out the the one-legged runner, but his his shot selection is uh, is 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 at least what you know at times has been one-legged runner adjacent. So maybe he's kind of you know maybe he's he's found and perhaps gone over the cliff of of uh, when when you know great shot-making talent allows for. A bad shot selection. Maybe he's pushed that too far, or maybe he's just shooting badly. Like we don't know. Um, But you know, it's 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 one of those things where uh, you almost wonder. um, Okay, maybe maybe if you can make that shot, maybe reel it back in a little bit anyway. Because what are we? What have we lost by being you know a little conservative on that? You know, right? right. Maybe maybe this has gone too far. Maybe reel it back. Like what's the what's the downside? of of passing up, you know, those extra couple even even if they're with his theoretical shooting ability are, you know, marginally good shots. Um if that's like the the, the best case scenario, they're, they're they're somewhere between terrible and marginally good maybe replacing them with something else like what's the what's the downside there but anyway
1: yeah it, it. it gets into some interesting things i mean i i think back to the when i covered going from the mark jackson warriors to the steve kerr warriors one of the biggest adjustments that happened was calibrating the players definitions of what a good and bad shot were and that Mark Jackson was far more okay with shots that we, you and I, would consider bad shots, and that were bad shots than Steve Kerr was. And so Kerr tried to impart to the team and the rest of the coaching staff that you could do better, that you can get better shots at. Also, that that both Steph Curry was a contributing factor into getting those teammates better shots, and also you know did did some of that himself and is an incredible tough shot maker in his own right. But. I think that it can go in a lot of different directions there. And one that I was thinking about this past week was, and it's so hard to teach this, but when teams are facing bad defenses, especially bad defenses that have, you know, like people who screw up communications for many reasons, the guy who I think of here is Zach Levine. You hmm. can, you, in an ideal world, a team would be able to adjust a little bit and say, hey, if we work the ball a couple more times, somebody's going to screw something up and we can get a better look. Now, just like, adjusting regular season rotations based on an opponent or all these other things, it's easier said than done because you're trying to build an 82-game scheme, not a one-game scheme. But I do think about that sometimes in terms of how the expectations of a good shot shift based on a variety of factors.
0: No, I, Yeah, I think, that's a, I think that's a good point. And, and you know, there is, there is something to that, you know, against a bad team sort of there is a certain amount of letting them off the hook. Um, now, uh, whether or not, you know, playing at whatever pace you want to play at is a bigger advantage or not. Like that's, you know, that's, that, that, that's sort of the decision that's, that's the heart of coaching. Right. So I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, they're doing it wrong or something like that, but, um, well, maybe I will, but, but that, that, but that's more like kind of some of the, like some of those hardened shots again on the margins, not like their general, you know, aesthetics aside, their, their general philosophy, it, it, I don't think it's been like I don't think it's been proven to be unsound or something. Suddenly, they're just you know they're just not making shots yet. I don't know if they if that goes on for longer, then maybe like you know their they, their their offense is sort of based on again sort of some uh, uh, um, you know uh, extraordinary shot making talents, and, and maybe that was maybe maybe they they you know maybe hardens you know step back three accuracy last year wasn't was was unsustainable because you know it, even one season is not a is not a huge sample size but you know enough i feel like you know the the, the rockets and shot selection seems like that's a, that 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 seems like one of the uh, like the singularity of of uh, nba discussions and <laughs> and we you know we we have to escape the gravity of that at some point
1: we do and i'm actually happy that you used to use the word gravity because I wanted to you talk see what about, I did there. Yeah, I wanted to talk with you about something that you tweeted today. It, it's a concept that I've been struggling with articulating basically since it was, it was KP and, and Haberstroh that basically popularized the concept of gravity. Right? Is that sound about right?
0: I, that's. I think that's. I think that's right. I think those it, are. Those are two of the. Two, certainly two of the people who were who did a lot to, to popularize it. I think. And and th- them and Zach Lowe. I think. Yeah, are and the Zach. Are-
1: and. And they were all colleagues at the time, so that helped. And I think that what you talked about was this idea, which is so important at a basic level, and I think a lot of people understand it, but just just to think about it this way, is that a player does not have gravity. A player is given gravity by his opposition, and that is a part of why, in certain circumstances, players have incorrect gravity, that maybe a shaky shooter gets a little bit too much respect or a good shooter gets an insufficient amount of respect. And that it really does boil down to how opponents both schematically and individually respect what a player does well. Whether it's obviously shooting is the way that this is used most often, but there's also gravity for role men and many other things.
0: Yeah, no, I think I mean I think the the classic example of a of a guy who who's, you know, in my mind's eye, the guy with who has more shooting gravity than his shooting accuracy would possibly suggest is Marcus Smart, right? Like, Marcus Smart will shoot. Marcus Smart has never been a especially good shooter, but because Marcus Smart will shoot, teams play him as if he will shoot, uh, and, you know, and really when it comes down to it, the difference between him shooting 32 and 37 from three doesn't really matter. Uh, if the, the other team is guarding him, it's it, like you'd rather him shoot 32 when the other team guard him than him shoot 37 and they don't. Um, just because that—that's a, oh, you know, it's going to take a while for that percentage to express itself, but the the amount of damage that his guy can can do to every offensive play that he doesn't shoot, uh, I think, kind of swamps the the additional make every you know every four or five six games, whatever it works out to be at at, at his volume, uh, that that the one that that difference in percentage would be. Like you think about that, it's it's you know, it, uh, you know, an extra defender like camping in the paint forty times a game. Uh, it doesn't take it doesn't take that long for that to you know cost more uh, than than one extra make uh, would uh, of a guy making more shots would be. It's I think it's something we've talked about in the past. Like it was you know in in the uh, in in uh, and I tweeted this today, but it's in the I wrote about this in, in my in the Mavs piece today was. You know, talking about like when when under robertson was was you know in that spot for Oklahoma City, I you know, it's maybe slightly hyperbolic, but I don't think it mattered what percentage he shot from three. Like he would still have been a drag on their offense if he if he literally made every three pointer he took, assuming he took the same amount that he was taking because, okay, well, that's some points, but we'll get more points by having his guy stand in the way on every other possession anyway.
1: That gets into the idea of threat assessment, which I think is such an interesting concept for both regular season stuff and really in the playoffs. Of With Robertson, well, okay, you can give up those threes to him, but the alternative is giving up easier drives to Russell Westbrook and, and Kevin Durant can get better penetration, and especially for reluctant shooters, you know, they're not going to burn you that often. And there are more record scratches and more, you know, awkward possessions that get derailed. And so the proportion of times that that kills you versus not having that guy close to the basket kills you, it's, it's a pretty easy call. And that's why shot frequency is so important. I
0: think, I mean, I think uh, shot frequency, especially like three, like the ability to get three-point three pointers up, is a huge part of a guy's shooting ability like we you know i think we focus way too much on shooting percentage and not enough on kind of shot profile and shot propensity Uh, Now, some of that is a a data issue like in the in you know it obviously with with you know the team side data that that i was used to using we could tell a lot more about a guy's like shooting propensities and that's so so like how, how
1: like if if a player is x close how often do they actually shoot it or something like that
0: I mean, some Yeah, no. I mean, you you could you could build a you could you could build a model like that, and and we may or may not have done so. But uh, but even even at one level higher, like you you know what's and you could see this when back when NBA dot com had like the, the the tracking data shot logs. Like if you looked at it, like you know the average distance on the three pointer on a catch and shoot three attempted, and you looked and it, the range was like you know Boris Diaw would have like eight and a half feet on his average release and like Gerald green would have four and a half feet or something like that. I, I, I may be slightly exaggerating the differential, but it was, I know that I, I know that those were two guys who were roughly at either ends of the, of the pole. So like that, that tells you right there that like Dia would have had to have been like wide open to shoot. And it this was kind of like, you know, it was, you, you're watching that as like, if you ever buy Boris diaw's pump fake from three, you're, you're getting fined. Cause if he pump fakes, if 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 you're close enough that that you'd buy a pump fake, he's not shooting um whereas like gerald green is is shooting and i I don't think that's you know he has not played this year, but I don't think that's changed um yeah you you're so. you're building
1: you're build, it sounds like you're building a really strong argument for Jordan Poole to be an underappreciated n b a player uh, okay <laughs> no just because he he pulls no yeah. matter what and th- yeah, yeah. well gets... no, I mean
0: was it you who was was it you or Nate last night who was who was positing the did Kendrick nunn take a bad shot dot com a, I think it was. A, uh, I can't remember. A, it wasn't
1: me. I think it, it might have been Nate. But yeah, it, it's it's really okay. interesting to kind of see see how those how those kinds of things can go. And another, and I'm guessing there's uh, there, there's team side stuff for this that I would be really really interested in. And I'm going to connect this with something else that you know is one of my obsessions is release time. Because again, that affects closeouts. It affects gravity too. You know, somebody like Clay Thompson or JJ Reddick, who has a really fast release, that affects how close you have to track them too.
0: Uh, I mean, that's uh, uh, on some level that I, I, I think the tracking data is probably not granular enough to really.
1: Yeah, because you because not every you know because sometimes you want you, they take a take a beat all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it, you would probably yeah do.
0: and and. And, like, you're also, like, was the the pass on target, like, was, like, when did, like, even something as simple as, like, when did the player actually possess the ball? Like, that's, that, it's, it's the kind of thing that for, you know, generally speaking, uh, it's, you know, if you're, you know, a, a tenth of a second or two off on that, it doesn't really matter. But when you're talking about like release times, like the difference between the fastest and slowest release time is going to be measured in in tenths or maybe twentieths of seconds, right? So, like you know, so the, the the data not being at of sufficient resolution to really see that directly. Um, so I don't, but you can. But there's other things you can. I mean, you you can. There's other ways you can sort of proxy for that. You know, just in terms of of. Uh, you know uh, shots on the move versus uh, versus you know standstill and and all these other kinds just like kind of shot variety um or or ability to to be a threat in a variety of different kind of you know shooting situations where a guy can can only shoot with you know feet set spot up or you know guy some guys can can do that and can shoot while drifting and some guys can can shoot while running and relocating and you know and like the, there's not a there's not a set profile for um, you know generally speaking, the shots you would think of are easier are easier, but it's not like it's a universal thing. okay, everyone shoots five percent better with their feet set than they do you know drifting vers and and four four percent better when they're drifting than when they're on the move i mean there's there's just a wide range of of kind of 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 profiles in those terms, and that's even assuming we have enough sample size to really you know tease out the actual abilities from those
1: that's a great point and a way to help also explain this on the other side of the ball is there are some players who are much more adept on ball defenders or off ball defenders you know maybe they have trouble navigating screens and there are there are all these different tools in the toolbox of defenders just like there are for offensive players and sometimes it gets hard to i mean like players are really good at one or another and then they get blamed or credited for Things that defy that. So, I, I, th- I would say one of these for me is somebody like Robert Covington, who I think of as a very good defender, but he is not necessarily a great one on one defender. It's that he's an adept help guy and a team defender. And so, remembering that these are all different things, and so you can't just say, player X is good at all of defense. So we're going to put them on whoever the other team's biggest threat is. It's a lot more complicated than that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's defense and coaching are two kind of those where we just kind of collapse them into like, well, this guy is a good coach. I was like, no, he's good at X, Y, and Z. There's like, you know, 20, 20 skills that make that up. And, and he's good at some of them. And we're with defense, like he is, you know, Covington is a versatile, good to help recover, play passing lanes, um, probably he's probably pretty good on ball against like against guys who aren't super quick but but can get you know overpowered by bigger guys and blown by by smaller guys like if he's just faced up on the ball, but all in all across the range of you know defensive situations that he faces in a given game is really good. Um, but that again, like you said, it doesn't mean he's a stopper. like you don't just oh, we're playing you know we're we're, we're playing the clippers tonight, uh, Bob. Kawhi, go ahead. Like that's not that that I you know my my guess is that wouldn't end well for for the Timberwolves if they if they decided to do that defensively.
1: Right, and some of this stuff I mean it can be a part of the conversation for us maybe more in the abstract, but a big part of the job for coaches is putting their players in a, in a position to succeed, and that is not only the coach it is the coach's job in a sense, to some extent, but it is also the general manager's job to make sure that you can put a player. So if Covington is better. As a team defender support guy, if he's also your best man-to-man defender, then you get into a problem. So do you put another man-to-man defender and, and, and do that, or do you lose Covington's other strength to do it? And, an example that I've talked about on this before is, when in the, especially in the regular season years ago, Kerr used to play Draymond at power forward because you know they didn't want to work him too hard, and that put him on Ryan Anderson they basically lost all of Draymond's ability to help because Ryan Anderson stands so far away from the basket that Draymond Green couldn't be in those two places at once. And I'm not saying Kerr screwed up. It's just a different sort of circumstance. But that it is a good way of thinking about it and, and how ideally, to me, defensive assignments would be a lot less rigid. And one of these that comes up is it's really interesting when teams put a smaller guy... On somebody like Christoph Sporzingis or i we saw it a couple times recently where Marcus smart was guarding Kevin love yeah no that's a that's
0: that's that's that that is kind of the we've we've been so conditioned um some uh the sort of came up came up recently like someone said that like the 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 warriors gave people like 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 a brain freeze that you that everyone needs to be switchy and be able to uh, to you know uh, attack off a switch and and defend all the all positions and stuff like that and and but really that's like in 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 the non like stratospheric realms of basketball which you know we're we're back in now since the you know the super team has has broken up um that's kind of a, a a pretty big swing skill for like uh you know power forward types is like cannot like if the other team goes small on me can I punish them? Does that mean? Does, does, Whether that means like you know run pick and roll and and have a, have a you know have you know you say Marcus Smart have Marcus Smart defend the screener and pick and roll? Can he do that? Um, can I take him into the post? Can I get on the offensive rebounds? Can I just can I shoot a, just shoot effectively over them? Um, that's a huge swing skill and or a range of swing skills and and but it seems like we focused so much on the other way that like. You know, and, and teams have almost conceded the possibility of advantage there where like, yeah, if you're going to play small, all right, we're going to, um, you know, OK, fine. We might have to we might give up a, an extra extra three or two to your, you know, your two guard you have playing power forward. But um, I'm going to you know, we're going to play two bigs and we're going to have a 40 percent offensive rebound rate and uh, and we'll come out ahead on that. Um you know, that's uh, – it, it seems like teams have – and part of that is because the Warriors were so good that, like, you kind of just lost that because they were better than you. But you probably you probably lose that either way and it seems like you – like, teams were, I want to say, too willing to concede the field to the Warriors and, well, they're going to beat us if we play our way, so let's try to play their way. Well, they'll beat us even worse. Um and so maybe now teams are going to be more. Uh, it's it, that's one of the unfortunate things about the Zach Collins injury, right? Is that was uh, um, uh, I, I know Nate and uh, John Hollinger talked about this a lot uh, early in the season. Is that was going to be a really interesting test? Is if he had the if Zach Collins had the ability to whether you know in the post or or offensive rebound. You know, punish the small guy um, to, to the point where you know, all right, well, maybe maybe we need to match up with Portland instead of them having to match up with us, kind of thing. How'd we get there, by the way?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, it's interesting you brought up Collins because that it is unfortunate, even though I was skeptical that the experiment would work, <laughs> I am very disappointed that we're not going to see it because the nature of this is exploration and learning, and it's also true that. It working or not working in Portland is not necessarily indicative of a future place. That's why Indiana is another test case for this. When their guys get healthy, they're also hurt. And yeah. it, I mean, you, you have a lot of different things. And one of them is also, I mean, we saw this with Nurkic in a really nice game against the Rockets a year or two ago. And then Jokic is really good at this too, of attacking quickly and forcing help or getting fouled or any number of other things. And, it is. It's also about you know what does it do to the opposing defense if you get that mismatch are they able to prevent the the entry pass all the, all those as well and a point worth emphasizing on what you were saying about the Warriors which is which is great and, and totally right is also when you think about what selecting for players who can play defensively against the Warriors does to everything else that a team could do. You know, those type of players generally have specific types of athleticism and frame, and the ones that are available enough probably don't have the same kind of offensive skills, because if they did, then they wouldn't be available. You know, you're not going to get if yeah, they were
0: better they'd be better
1: if they were better they'd be better and if they were better you couldn't get them because they right, would they exactly. would be drafted in the top 5 picks and then they'd be matched they'd get their free agency match and all that kind of stuff it's you know and for some of us that's an argument for why we don't like the draft the way that it is but anyway that's not for now but the idea of not necessarily zigging while they're zagging but embracing what your collection of talent can do well is such a powerful idea in I'm very encouraged in the early going of this year that it seems like there are teams that are using different approaches and, and 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 succeeding with it.
0: Yeah, no, I think I I I have always been someone I I've you know the I think that the complaint that the NBA game has become homogenous has always been overblown. Um, I you know I think that that a lot of that is sort of. Uh, mistaking uh, sort of uh, outcome for process um, in that like shot, I think that shot location we to get back to something we talked about earlier like shot location distribution that's much that's almost that's more of an outcome than it is a process like you you run offense to get those shots um, and yeah you try to get good shots I mean uh, every, like again everyone like the the perfect offense would be a dunk every time down the floor uh, but. You, so you run your offense in, with the goal of trying to do that, um, but there's any number of different ways you can do that, and I don't I I don't feel like we've I don't feel like we've ever been in a situation where even like the top offenses all kind of from a uh, like a schematic standpoint really looked all that similar. Do you? I mean, you have you have on one hand you got you've got like the extreme ISO of the of of you know the iso everyone stand around of the rockets you have in the past years you have the the warriors kind of going from a pure motion to more of an iso heavy style but still very improvisational you have teams that are, that do a lot of like spread pick and roll you got the nuggets who just do like they're they're basically like endless elbow dribble handoffs off of off of jokic i mean these are you know these are they're t- t- very fundamentally different ways that like really good offenses are playing and now they're in service of trying to get to the same shots, but that's like, yeah, they're all trying to put the ball in the basket, um, and and so therefore everyone's playing the same way. I mean, it's 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 just silly to state it that way.
1: Agreed. And it also, I mean, you could there are a bunch of different examples of how teams use and maximize players with unusual but extreme strengths. I mean, last year's Bucks were a great example of how this can be maximized. Where okay, you want the ball in Giannis' hands a lot, cool he's not the greatest shooter in the world so that means you need spacing at other positions and playing him more at the 5 and having or sorry more at the 4 and having spacing at the 5 ended up opening that up a lot but Dallas with Luka very different player and so Porzingis has opened some things up there which I think is really interesting and I'm a little bit disappointed in the early going just I mean for a million reasons but the Pelicans would have been so fun with this because they and, and I'm not necessarily criticizing David Griffin for this but their mix of personnel was so dramatically different from a lot of the other theories and it very well could work or it could be a, a situation where parts of it work, parts of it don't and then that isp- inspires the next stage, whatever the heck that is.
0: Yeah, I mean there – it's, it's – how can you say anything has like – has worked about the – like you know the, the Pelicans have basically – I mean they, they've – I mean how Favors has played like half their games maybe so they've they've gotten you know they're they're a team that was going to be small no matter what and they've then got like you know have, have play, gotten 25 percent of the possible games from their penciled in starting four and five and really they're they're i mean you know give or take a little local give her their 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 demonstrably nba rotation caliber uh bigs they've gotten you know 25 percent of the possible games they could have so you know yeah it's, it, it, it's been odd um but you know given the circumstances how would it not have been
1: yeah that's totally fair still plenty more to talk about with seth but first a message from betonline.ag this is still a great time in the sports calendar football going on strong the nba really in full swing now interesting games every single night. And a great way to engage with that is betonline.ag. You can use that podcast one promo code for a 50% sign up bonus. You can also follow along at podcastonesportsnet.com with the hashtag sportsnet challenge. I'm still doing really well. I was actually one of the week nine winners. So you can look at my Twitter if you want to get some money for betonline.ag, which is pretty awesome. And we have a $5,000 season long charity contest. But if you want to get into it for yourself, which is by far the more fun thing, unless you're prefer tracking how I do, is going after it yourself. And this is a great time in sports. I mean, you have LSU at Alabama this weekend, which is going to be awesome. A bunch of good NFL games close to my heart, Seattle coming to, to, I guess, Santa Clara to face the Niners, but also Vikings, Cowboys, and Iowa, Wisconsin in college football, and then great basketball games really every single day. So lots that you can do there. And Whatever you're into, if you're going to be watching game, you can make it more interesting. Or if you think you know something, then you can obviously try to wield that to your financial advantage. Hopefully you can. And the way to do that, betonline.ag. Use that podcast one promo code for a 50% sign up bonus. Betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Something that I wanted to talk briefly about this came up in uh, one of your recent pieces for The Athletic. And I think it's an incredibly important point that we need to start talking about more intelligently. And that is the concept of pace. And you brought up the point in the piece, which is correct, that the, what, the stat that is most frequently used right now is a bad measure of what we're trying to measure. Because pace is incorporate, incorporates both teams, it is a single number for a game, and it doesn't necessarily reflect, at least not fully who is being the aggressor, who, how things want. And yeah, some of that breaks out over the course of a season because you play more varied opponents and everything else, but we can, and there are ways already right now to do better.
0: Uh, I mean, the publicly you might, it might be hard, but like with, with tracking data, even observation, just like, yeah, you know, the team that is getting into their offense early is playing faster. They may not be paying quicker. I mean, like the, the, you know, the Rockets are going to get shots up quicker but like the this is you, you know the Spurs are going to get into their offense pretty early, so now they're getting, and that means they're going to run offense for longer. So there's not going to be as much up and down, but like they're going to they're going to run more stuff. And you know to get back to that kind of gets back to something you said earlier, like uh, that that puts you in a uh, um, you know a maximal situation to you know have the other, have the defense screw up. You know you you run. You, you 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 know you run five actions on a possession that's five times for that's five chances for someone to fall down and you get a layup off of it right you know it's it's a little bit reductive but you know you you run you know you run one iso one pick you know ball screen into an iso and it, you're not going to get a lot of system buckets that way but if you get the ball up the floor early start your offense at 18 and run you know a pin down into a you know into a Iverson cut into a into a into a you know, there's any one of those might not individually like generate a great thing every time down the floor, but you're 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 putting defenders in enough tough situations that that a couple times a game you probably get an easy one off of that, uh, and just by doing that more, you know, you you're putting more pressure on the defense, and so I think that's that should be more what we're talking about uh, when we're talking about uh, you know pace of play is getting getting into stuff early. And pressuring the defense rather than just like sprinting up the floor and jacking up a shot. Um, You know, and also the other thing is, is, is like you can, you can goose the pace you play at just by playing really bad defense.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that's that's, that's the other part I wanted to talk about is, well, there are a couple things, but a defensive pace is extremely important. Houston was such a great example of this over the last couple of years, because you could point to their, their offensive pace and their defensive pace. Because offensively they didn't really push the ball too hard. They had these long possessions because they were trying to get a trying to get a mismatch, and then you know you're working through all the different screens or whatever to get James Harden or Chris Paul or whoever on the guy they wanted. But then defensively their scheme forced opponents to move more slowly because that you weren't creating the same kind of seams. And so I thought they were a really good example for people to explain this exact concept.
0: Yeah, and then this year they're you know going nine thousand miles an hour right. uh, at both ends and, and and like you know it's uh, Tom Haberstroh had a, had a nice video today about them maybe going a little too fast on offense and allowing you know again allowing other teams to uh, generally speaking I think that, that NBA players will tell you if you've played good enough defense by not shooting um, and so if other team is taking early shots that in general means that you've maybe not done something great defensively now, obviously, there are players who will take bad early shots, but over over a season, the more early shots you give up is generally, I think, a bad indicator for your defense. And, and again, and then that, that kind of redounds to, you know, well, we're playing at a high pace. Yeah, because the opponent's getting open looks at 15 on the shot clock every time. That's not the way you want to generate pace.
1: Well, and there's a corollary there that I used to argue about with people. Originally, I think it was the Cavs defense back when LeBron was there. And and then it also was with the Nuggets a couple of years ago, before they got Millsap, where teams would point to—partisans, typically—would point to a low foul rate for a team as a sign of something positive. And it can be. Absolutely. If you can defend well without fouling, that is good. But if you are defending poorly and not fouling, that might—and emphasis on the word might, that's why context is so important— be an indicator that you're not close enough to foul,
0: exactly. And or then, or, then it's or your really, effort level ne- it's is a really questionable. negative
1: factor, just like how steals can be a positive, you know, if you're getting them within the scope of your defense. But if it's Monte Ellis just diving for the ball and he doesn't get the steal most of the time, and the times that he doesn't, it gets an easier look for the opponent, But then it's a less positive stat,
0: yeah. No, that's that, 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 that's that's exactly right. Um.
1: Uh, something, that, something that I think is really interesting – unless do you have a point on that? I didn't want to cut you off. No, 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 oh, no. So, so small, small sample size here, but this is something I think is really interesting. I've been very fascinated in the early going with Sacramento, and they have similar but not identical personnel to last year, and the season has started out very poorly. And there are some very basic reasons for that. I mean – one of my one of the ridiculous stats I looked up is that no player for the Kings with higher than twenty percent usage. And if you think five players on the floor, if they split possessions equally, that means you're higher than average usage player. None of them uh, has an above average point, average. point
0: of order, point of order is that that average usage is slightly lower than twenty because shot clock turnovers don't count for individual oh, okay. players' usage. So anyway. would it would be like Sorry, nineteen that's, or where should we're it count It's like it's. It's like the lead, like like Lee average paces or the average usage is like nineteen eight or something like okay. that. So t- twenty is functionally right. It's just one of those things that that uh, that it it came up earlier this yep. year where we're at the end of a game, like someone threw a rookie the ball to say, "Hey, you're," and and it was like, "Oh, why they give him the turnover?" It's like, well, they don't actually charge the turnover to the guy who's holding the ball when the shot clock runs out. So anyway, yeah, that's well, to, uh, t- uh, t- technically random correct
1: is the best stat. kind of correct. So I appreciate that. Um, but yeah. but so what I what I've, one of the things I found interesting about Sacramento and again really small sample size here is that they're they're still running a lot though at a lower proportion of times. After live rebounds, so you know a live rebound meaning that you you yeah. don't have to inbound it or anything like that. Right. However, their uh, transition play frequency after a steal is significantly lower in the early going this year. So they they produced a transition play about seventy four percent of the time last year, and they were also the most effective team in the league at the in those circumstances. So far this year, those were both number one in the league. They're in the twenties on both of those. So their transit their frequency in getting a transition play off a of steal. Is now down to sixty-two percent, so that's a more than ten percent reduction, and they're one they're point two points per hundred possessions less efficient on those as well. And yeah, some of that could be sample size noise. Some of that could also be changes at backup point guard and the proportion like non De'Aaron Fox stuff. But I did find it really interesting. And then after that, there's one other point I want to bring up.
0: Yeah, no, I think I mean I think that's that's um, I'm gonna I'm gonna lean on like small sample size theater there because like we you know we we're talking about. You know, we're talking about like six games, so that's fifty steals. So a ten percent reduction in, in, uh, in, in you know, that's it, it, I guess five. That's five fewer times over. You know, over. You know, it's 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 not nothing, but it's it's you know, yeah, you're, you're it, gay, it's, too,
1: it's too small to like to to know it for sure. But yeah, the part of it, considering, go ahead.
0: It, no, you just like like you know, maybe maybe an unusual number of their steals have been like you know a postman just like loses a, an entry pass between his legs or something like that you know it's it's oh, versus versus or... the, the, the like the you know versus the the pick six up top or something like that so it's sure. it's I, it, the, that is certainly something to look out for but especially considering that their their like their transition stuff off of defensive rebounds hasn't changed that much uh, I would lean more towards small sample size than like a difference in the character of their play. I think it's just like there's they, like their steals. It's small sample and they're, their steels may have been slightly skewed in terms of the, like, locations and stuff like that. Or, and or maybe that's be that something they about when fox was on
1: the floor. It could be that it was just yeah, that they had right. different personnel when the steels happened. Right.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, and that, and maybe that means it's something about, like, they're not applying as much pressure with fox on the floor. And and so that, that may in itself be a problem, but it's not that they're not running off of steels so much as, like, other things that, that happen. So it's maybe – it is possibly a canary in a coal mine, but it's also – there's a lot of just, like, randomness, like – just attached to that, this this level of sample.
1: But I don't know if you can if you can hear my smile through the through the series of tubes. But the other factor here is feedback loops. Sacramento's defense, 18th in the league last year, which felt a little bit fluky. This year, they're 27th, and one of the big things that changes when you fall that far in defense is you're taking the ball out of the basket more often, and thus you can't get those transition looks. And Sacramento, even last year, when things were working well for them, they didn't have a good half-court offense. And the easiest way to sabotage your own offense, to me in some ways, is to have a bad defense.
0: No, I think this was... I think I I wrote about this preseason. I think they had... I want to say they had, like, the one of the biggest per-play defer- differentials in terms of scoring off of, like, live possessions, which is, you know, steals and rebounds, basically, Then off of any time they'd take the ball out of bounds or, like, you know, got a free-throw rebound. So, yeah, this was a, this was already a team that, like, uh, struggled in the half-court, basically, and then you get scored on more, you're playing more half-court. So, like you're talking about feedback loops, like, they, they played, ju- they did, just got just enough stops last year to to allow them to play you know to get out and 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 get some pace and and get some speed and and use you know get buddy some threes in transition and let Fox be really fast and and all those stuff and and you know that doesn't doesn't take a it doesn't take a big drop to have that to have a pretty big you know impact in terms of of you know your you you switch five or ten possessions a game in terms of how you're playing them. Uh, for a team that is much better in one scenario than the other, that's a pretty big point swing. And, you know, that'll that'll swing uh, that'll, even this early in a season. That'll that's a swing that's probably worth a game or, or so, maybe more.
1: Still more to talk about with Seth. But first message from CBS Sports. Today's episode of Real Jam Radio is brought to you by CBS Sports HQ, the brand new streaming sports news network. It is live 24-7 and costs you nothing. That's right. It is sports coverage that is always on and always free. It is a great resource to have because CBS Sports HQ is always focused on on the game. Highlights, breaking news that happens, fantasy advice, and also if you're into wagering, gambling picks analysis to get that extra edge and not having to worry about some of the other fluff. Non, non-on-court, non on-field action that is what most of us watch the game for. And you can get the tips and trends that you need if you're, if you're, of course, into gambling. And don't forget, you can get access to all this great coverage completely free. Not free for a week or a month with some sort of cable package. Totally, completely free for everyone. You do not even need a login. What you do is you download the CBS Sports app on your phone, Apple TV, Roku, Fire TV, or another connected device anytime to watch CBS Sports HQ. No fake debates, just sports for real sports fans at the great price of completely free. You don't even have to log in or sign up for anything. Download the CBS Sports app and watch CBS Sports HQ today. Another team that had a prominent swing there, and granted, we're getting into the point where it's going to be so different that we can't measure it, but their compatriots in Northern California, the Golden State Warriors. I mean, this they, the Warriors were devastating in transition. And yeah, there are elements of it not having Clay Thompson, Eif. not having Kevin Wynn Durant that make it harder anyway. but having the league's worst defense is meaningfully different and that makes it a lot harder to succeed offensively.
0: So some of that is and I haven't I haven't looked in the last couple of games, but all some of that was they like their opponents had lived in Pleasantville for the first you know oh, couple yeah, weeks. Of the season. So like like yes they have like their defensive shot profile wasn't great, but opponents were also just making every jumper. So it's, you know, it's yeah. There's some, you could be playing better defense, but also the opponents have just made every shot against you. Like they, they, they had, it's hard to imagine the first, you know, the, again, the first two weeks of the season, having gone uh, worse for them in terms of like the reasonable distribution of how, uh, uh, of of outcomes in terms of how things could have happened. Um, they basically like, you know, they rolled snake eyes to start the year. Um, And and,
1: and, But that ties in with something that I wanted to ask you. This was an idea that I posited to Nate on the Time to Panic podcast that dunked on, is it might be just kind of too cute by half, and I acknowledge that possibility. But what I was getting at with him was the idea that, let's say for the sake of discussion, the Warriors were a less likely playoff team than collectively anticipated. That could be due to them being worse at full strength, or whatever counts as full strength at the beginning of the season, overestimating how healthy they were going to be, whatever that is. Given – were that to be the case, do you agree with my idea that there's an argument that if you're going to be bad, you might as well be really, really bad in a one-year way that won't necessarily continue because it gives you better resources, but also in their unusual case – because they played into June this many times in a row, just having more rest throughout the season and approaching this differently could actually be a good thing for them as opposed to let's say they're in the playoff mix for a lot longer, then either Curry gets hurt or something happens and then they're, you know, and it's not even necessarily about get getting betting a, get a better draft pick. I think it's more about the approach that they can have towards the rest of their team.
0: Sure. So this is they're an interesting case because I mean you're obviously closer to this than I am, but my read from it from afar was it was unusual in that it seemed like Kerr was like the co- usually it's going to be like the the, the 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 coaching staff is going to be the very short term and the and the the front office is going to be eh, let's give it time. Uh, it seemed like that was kind of reversed here in that Kerr was like. Uh, this year, is, it's not going to happen for us. This year, let's chill. And and the front office was, you know, whether it, like new arena driven or addicted to the whatever or high on the own supply and just like, yeah, we'll be fine. Clay's going to come back, and we're gonna we're gonna be and, and and no one, you know, my team is on the floor, and no one can beat us when we blah blah blah. Whether it's that kind of overconfidence or or just who knows what. But it seemed like there was a maybe an organizational split of opinion about whether to, you know, take a gap year or not. And, it, and from my standpoint, like, you know, you can get into the, the tediousness of the tanking debate. But it's like, look, we played five straight finals. Uh, one of our best players is out for the year. We, we lost, you know, a, a, an MVP level player, uh, you know, injury aside to free agency. So basically we're down, you know, we're down, we're down, basically we're down two Hall of Famers from last year. Uh, and the rest of and the rest of the roster, three Hall of famers really it, with Iggy um, and and our roster has been completely hollowed out and it's just not gonna happen this year. So you know let's uh, let's let's you know get some reps, you know keep keep everyone's wind up and not really kill Stefan Draymond over the course of the year. And then you know Clay comes back in a year and then we'll be ready for you know one more push at the tail end of our guy's prime. That seemed like the better bet to me at the, and this isn't yeah you know, i i trust me when i say i'm not being revisionist here i picked them to miss the playoffs full stop i didn't like the 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 russell uh signing like because it, it some of it's a disagreement about the player but also just didn't seem to make a lot of sense given where they they are um to to kind of do something that aggressive in terms of giving up future assets to do it even um but that's not here or there um uh so yeah, I, I think that's a lot of words for me agreeing with you. If if I'm guessing the if I'm if I'm understanding the question correctly,
1: I, I think you are. And I will. I don't have any inside information on this, but here's my operating theory: the coaching staff and the front office—let's use management as the overall term there, because ownership yeah, okay. is important you, here too—disagreed yeah. on how good this team was. Yeah. And so why that was different than usual is that. I think the coaching staff was less confident that this team was actually good, and thus, if you think the team is less good, then what happened is both less surprising and also less catastrophic than the way that it was Yeah, no, I,
0: I mean that that certainly seems like you know the um, Kerr does not seem like he's freaking out about this. Put it that way,
1: right? And I mean that is a benefit of having the job security that that Kerr has, and, and it,
0: yes. No, but but yes, but it's also like yeah, the, you know this is. I don't think he's come out and said this, but he's basically it's like yeah, this is I. We kind of knew this was going to happen, mm-hmm. like maybe not exactly this, but you know, Something, like obviously you know, like,
1: the vague the like, vague contours were more similar than these specifics. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. The, the, the storyboards, let's put it that way, and. Yeah. So, and, and the other thing that the Warriors falling off does, and I mean, I think we both have them as an exceedingly unlikely playoff team, unless Eric Pascal just drops 32 a game, which seems unlikely, is it opens up a spot in the Western Conference. And I, you know, we're, we're less than 10 games in, and there's a lot, a lot of ha- that will happen both in terms of player development and injuries and, and getting larger samples. So we understand this, but how are how are you feeling about the possibilities for the bottom of the West?
0: Like, so who are who are some of the who are some of the candidates to kind of work their way in here? I mean, we're talking, you know, we're talking. Well, well, that's, Dallas, that's a good thing to talk about. Okay, so, Phoenix, so I would say talking...
1: I would say the Rockets, the Nuggets, the Clippers, the Lakers. We could talk about the Jazz. Like those teams all seem if they stay, you know, we assume the reasonable range of outcomes. To me, those five teams seem like pretty likely playoff teams. Do you agree with that?
0: yeah yeah no, I think that those were sort of the the locks going in I think, and, I think-
1: and, and while nothing is definite, broadly speaking, I think those teams have done enough in their profile to to make me think that it's not a huge difference and Then that means there are three spots. You could go – I mean really one of the other striking things about the West originally was that there weren't any other than maybe Memphis any clearly bad teams that – you can make an argument that's changed at least while the Warriors are hurt right now. So I would say you're probably looking at Minnesota, Dallas, Portland, and then Phoenix, OKC, New Orleans, San Antonio, and maybe SAC – Maybe, maybe, probably not the Warriors as being the teams competing for those final three spots.
0: Yeah, I think. I mean, preseason, I I was big on Oklahoma City. Um, they've been up and down. Um, uh, Portland, I'm, I'm especially with the Collins injury. I'm just not sure about. Um, uh, like, they probably, I don't know, maybe will their way in. Um, Minnesota is like, I don't know. They've. I wonder about their their kind of overall talent level um, Phoenix has been like impressive full stop so far now I don't I don't not sure how much I believe it um, but they've played really well whether or not they can continue it whether they've they've ridden some cold opponent shooting at times um, but again they've had they've had like you know no doubt or victories over over uh, over some pretty good teams so like you know they they they, they legit just beat the Clippers and they legit just beat the Sixers. And it wasn't like they beat them because like the, 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 they, you know, they didn't shoot 60% from three and their opponent shoot 20. Um, so I don't know. Um, so Phoenix is there. So, uh, I guess it's a long winded way of saying, I don't know, you know, uh, before the season, I, I think I would have, and I, I, think I did of those three, I think I would have said, okay, Portland and San Antonio. But I don't, I have a certain, I don't have a huge, um, uh, and I thought New Orleans would be better than this, but I think that was also uh, pre-Zion surgery. So um, that kind of, I'll take a mulligan on that, if I may. Um, But, you know, between those those teams, I don't know. Um, You know, and as bad as it's been early going for Sacramento, like, they're, you know they're they're only you know two and five, it's only seven games in, so you know they could start playing better tomorrow, and and and, st- and they're still kind of right there, so it's not like as as kind of ugly as it's been to start the season for them. Like it's not it's way too early to write them off.
1: Right, like Sacramento's two and five, Minnesota's four and two. The margin between those two over the course of an eighty-two game season is not that stark. It, right, you know it, it helps being being two wins ahead, being three losses ahead. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's ground that the the Kings would theoretically have to cover. And if they are good enough, they will. That's That's just the way this generally goes, unless it's, you know, like that Denver last game of the season type of stuff, which is possible in the West. But yeah, I would say to me, Dallas and... Minnesota have been the best of that group, and yeah, I mean you can't get a little stars in your eyes because they're both four and two, but also just watching no. I, mean, them
0: play. I think of no. Phoenix has been of in terms. Oh, of yeah, that's true. The team that has the team that has played the best of that group. And is, I mean, is Phoenix, Phoenix also has some legit close. great
1: wins. I mean, they beat the Clippers. Like that's, that's what I'm saying. Is they yeah.
0: and again we were just I was just saying. Like, yeah, you're they right. Just you're right. Beat, they, they it should be Phoenix. They, they didn't. They didn't have. A, they didn't have a win over the Clippers. They beat the Clippers. It was not like I've 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 watched more Suns this year than I have in, in you know. Um, they, they, many times, like I may, I may have already watched as much Suns this year as they did all of last year. It's probably a little bit hyperbolic, but I mean, you know, they, they, you add Ricky Rubio to a team, you, you get me to watch more. Um, is is part of it? But they've been they've been good. And again, I don't it's seven games in, so you don't want to you don't want to crown anyone yet. But like they've been over the over the first two weeks of the season, they have been easily the best of those. Kind of non non lock West playoff teams,
1: right? And then so the the point they're going to get to is the idea of whether it's repeatable, whether it's sustainable, and and that is very interesting. But yeah, they played super well so far, and Baines in particular has just been awesome for them.
0: Yeah, no, that's and that's the the really weird thing is is then he's like, oh, well, then they'll get Aiton back in you know a month and a half. Is Mm -hmm. is that you know obviously long term they need tremendous things from DeAndre Aiton for them to be, like, a top-level team. So, like, long-term, yes, it's a good thing that, that, that he will be back to their their team if for no other reason than they can get a better understanding of if he's going to be that guy or not. Um, for them, in terms of winning games this year, uh, it, it's not terribly difficult for me to construct a scenario where um, their better team, you know, finding backup center minutes... From somewhere and getting thirty whatever minutes a game from Aaron Baines with the starters, that's not. I don't. This like, is
1: this is Aaron not Baines. I am not comparing the two of them as players, but isn't this kind of the idea that in an Andrew Wiggins' injury would help the Timberwolves?
0: It is a little bit of that, but I mean, it's, I mean, but, uh, but know, I Baines been like, significantly
1: better. It's just the idea that yeah, it, 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 no, I
0: mean, as of. Without commenting on their like importance to the franchise going forward, to this point in like at this point in their careers, Aaron Baines is a better NBA basketball player than DeAndre Ayton. I mean, you know, it's that's just the the, the nature of of young players versus established, you know, decent level vets. Like that's sort of how it works. Um, so you know, again, and that's not a. It's and then it's a question of like, what does the team want to happen? Like, what should their what should their goals for the season, the rest of the season be? Like, they've been so starved of success that, you know, what is it worth to them to try to go for like the seventh seed, or or do they or do you just like, okay, we had a nice start. I think, you know, given the franchise's recent history, like if there's if there's a an organization that should have institutional memory of what happens when you get ahead of yourself. It's probably the Suns, right? Um, even though there's been, you know, obviously tremendous organizational turnover since that time. But that like a team that seemed like it had a had a no pun intended bright future by, you know, riding some close game luck to narrowly missing the playoffs and then like, oh, wait, we weren't actually that good and we doubled and tripled down on stuff that wasn't actually sustainable and now we're terrible again. Uh, you know, talking about that, you know, that that uh, that that, that you know, drag its blood so. Team that that won forty whatever games a couple years ago. So, yeah, there's that there's know.
1: that weird parallel between them and the the Raptors team that that won too much to blow it up, but then that Raptors team keeping it together ended up working out a little bit better, partially because Masai did a better job of using resources than Ryan McDonough and 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 company. Did and so the Raptors were able to have, you know, the Pascal Siakams of the world enough that they could also trade other players for Kawhi Leonard and win a championship. Well,
0: I mean, and also, but also some of that was just sort of there was, there's, a, there's certain like inflection points of luck in terms of like, you know, uh, James Dolan not wanting to trade with Masai again and then, oh, wait, Kyle Lauer's is actually really good when we make him our best player. Yeah. Um, I guess, I guess that works. Yeah, it's a great point. Um, so that's kind of a, that's sort of a little bit of a sliding doors thing there. Like, you know it wasn't it wasn't that they decided they were too good to break it up it's like they tried to break it up even further and then it didn't work out and then oh wait look what we got here
1: yeah that's a and and it's it's a really interesting part of the when whenever the history of the raptors is fully fully told i mean that that part of it and and there's serendipity in all of this i mean i Wrote I have wrote a lot of things about the the good fortune that the Warriors had that led to them getting Kevin Durant, you know, guys that turned down contract extensions or n- didn't sign contracts and all that type of stuff. And, I mean, they're, that's just the way that it, it works in the NBA. But the Raptors are just a fascinating example of it. For sure. Uh I don't I don't there are two other kind of brief topics that I want to get into and these will maybe be teasers for future episodes that we do together. Um the first one I want to talk about is something that you and I both discussed on Twitter today as we're recording this on Wednesday and that is the kind of how how all of this applies to load management. There's there was some outrage today because of Kawhi Leonard being missing a game due to load management. Now, do part of that is NBA broadcast partners being the ones who suffer and representatives of those companies being the ones who are doing the primary complaining, which I understand from as a structuralist from their perspective. But I think that... Structuralist?
0: We're we getting into some some legal theory now?
1: Sure. Let's, <laughs> no, yeah. but, the, but the idea basically being that there are incentives for them to, to say the things they did and because they're facing the ill effects. But so what I think is, is hard... It, it, the discussion that is more fruitful to have here is, is an acknowledgement, at least tentatively, that the Clippers are doing what is best for them. And so then if we acknowledge that point, and that they're, they're justified, they're within their rights to do so. And it seems like they've run this all through the league and all that. So even within the rules that the league has set up, they're on the up and up. But then the point that the discussion should then go to is, well, why are we in a circumstance where a team has to Sit there, one of their best players on back to backs, but they have so many of these that it material f- affects the bro- broadcast quality.
0: No, I think, I mean, I think that's right. I mean, I think you're okay, like the state, like from the standpoint of the league, okay, you, to simplify it down a little bit, like the league's mandate is let's put the best, get the best product out there, uh, as possible in our national TV games now, um. You know, we can probably take issue with historically some of their scheduling of of who they've placed in marquee dates over the years. And I think that there's some culpability there in terms of of catering to markets rather than teams. But that's a whole other aside, um, you know, but okay, but that, if that's the league's like mandate on one side. And then the team's mandate is to be as competitive as, as, as possible and as competitive as possible towards winning a championship. If you're putting yourself in a situation where those two things are in opposition, uh, the team is not the not the not the or not the entity that that set up the, the the circumstances for them to be in as stark an opposition as they are in a situation here. So this is this is a scheduling issue and I know you're going to go to fewer games and that's fine. But even in an 82 game schedule, if you you know, you're you it's it's a hard thing to do and and we should acknowledge that, but you know, it's you have to make decisions about what are the most important things. And it seems to me that for, you know, we're in show business here that the number one important thing is that the national TV games are the best games possible. So starting the schedule from there and working backwards from that. And yeah, you can have, you you worry about, you know, travel and balance and, and this and that, but you can't, you know, you can't have 12 first overall priorities. You can only have one. And kind of after every team playing 82 games, 41 home, 41 road games, like getting the marquee games where the stars on both teams are most likely to play, given that we know we're in an environment where teams are going to be judicious about back-to-backs, especially amongst the best players who once – like the players who are established as best players are going to tend to be older because that's how they became established and and so are going to be more – in kind of the load management realm, like it, it's, you know, you've set yourself up in a position and not to, I don't want to say to fail, but you set yourself up in a position for this to always be an issue. And then to kind of like, you know, hold up your hands and say, Oh man, I wish the teams would think more about blah, blah, blah. No, fix it. Like you make the schedule, fix it. You know, this is a thing. If it's, if again, the most important thing is this, this, Um, And really, and honestly, it should be like you can talk about the competitive yada, yada, yada of the schedule and unbalanced and teams, you know, playing equally hard schedules early and late and not having too many road whatever. Like, no, if your your goal is to maximize the the, you know, the interest in the league. And if you think that's driven by the national TV slate now that we can argue that, I suppose, but if that's you know the, the premise you're working from, then then do that. Maximize that. Don't like just assume that's going to work out and try to fiddle with all these other little things in the schedule. Like be what you're about. And I think that the league has not done that, and they're and and it's, this isn't a new thing. And now they're paying the price for it. But somehow, like the team that is acti- acting in like complete rational self interest and the complete rational self interest of the people making those decisions with the team, they're getting blamed for this now. And it's, I don't know, it it, it bugs me. So uh, well, I'll put the soapbox it, away and let you talk.
1: And it, it connects. I, I was thinking as you were going through the different arguments here, we've seen the NFL get so much more criticism for choosing to play those games on Thursday, which everybody knows are going to be worse because the teams don't get enough rest and there are all sorts of injury stuff. And the NFL is getting the brunt of that. It is not the teams that are getting it, like, hey, look, Team X is playing poorly or or the guys are hurt. And for whatever reason, people aren't seeing that the NBA has has value here. And I think I've struggled with this for a while. I want to do a lot of work on – I mean I'm a staunch advocate for reducing the number of games in the season. And note that it's not the same as shortening the season is reducing the number of games because I want the season to be the same length from start to finish just with 10 or so fewer games in it. Because then you get more breaks, and I think that the so what I was thinking about today that was kind of a a pseudo revelation was there's always been this issue that especially if the sides are focused on the wrong idea. Can I break in just real
0: quickly uh, when you're talking about like the uh, uh, um, you know there's 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 a uh, something that that you may not be fully taking into account is if you. Uh, build bigger breaks into the season. Um, I don't think that you're going to get quite the kind of the rest effect that you think you are, because what's going to happen is and not everywhere. But those those are a lot of big shiny dates on the calendar for a coach to have a really bust ass practice.
1: Yeah, that's so, true. And, and, like, and, I think and that's a gra- I, that's like- a great that's a great point. And I mean, teams don't practice that much during the season now. We could see that, but I I think that then you could get some you could get players' voice again. And and you're right. That is a really good point to consider. It's again along the lines of I've I've said this before of like all you see is not all there is because teams would use non-televised things to work their guys and that's a great great point. But what I was getting at here is this idea that if what the players and owners who negotiate the collective bargaining agreement, what they're focusing on is maximizing the pie, then you want to play a lot of games in the season. I mean, that's an easy way to do it. You generate more revenue. And while there are costs associated with that, you know, the more games you play, you have to pay all the staff and everything else and pay the players included if we're thinking from the owner's side. There is a, a party that really affects the CBA negotiations without being either of the sides in it. And that is the broadcast partners. And so my idea here is that Theoretically, those broadcast partners, either the current ones or the ones negotiating a future deal, could condition their offer, make it shift based on how many games the NBA teams play per season or pack to backs, whatever thing they want. Like contracts can be negotiated in this way. This is not any sort of breach of protocol or ethics or anything like that. So, for example, you know, Entity X that it wants to show NBA games could say, we are going to pay you y if the season is this long and we're going to pay you z which is higher per game if the season is this long even if it doesn't change the amount of games that they show they could impact that and then theoretically that would change the that would change the the axis of the negotiations in the cba
0: i'm like this is a fairly benign example i am discomforted by the notion of like the broadcast partner um thumbing the scale of the cba negotiation because i think i think you know we i i I, i'm gonna guess that both i I know for a fact that both of our sympathies kind of tend to lie with labor and you know the broadcast partner is capital so not to not to go so that's that's you know you see where i'm going with this
1: well yeah yeah, they're capital but the owners are a different kind of capital too
0: yeah, no, but the, but this is the, but like you know it, this is there's 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 a uh, it, it's I don't think it's too big a leap for there to be a for me to see some kind of a collusive effect. <laughs> oh,
1: a, a, here sli- a slippery that, slope? Yeah, that seems very. Yeah, possible.
0: that 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 is that work that redounds to the benefit of not the players, right? Uh, so yeah. I am so I am I am I'm you know accepting the short term possible wisdom of your idea. I am uh, very skittish about the the broader implications of that kind of being a, a thing that of it of, of it kind of becoming a instead of being like a like a you know a a a, a biparty negotiation yeah uh, but, to at, becoming the, a to becoming point, a, a tripartite I, like that's
1: yeah there like, there are serious downside risks of it. However, we've seen the NBA take stances that are anti-competitive that go along with this and that, that being that national TV games are treated differently than other games, like because they're not chosen at random and they're not chosen, you know, like in in any sort of arbitrary way, there are teams that benefit and are hurt by the idea that it is a a worse thing to sit a star player in a national TV game than in a non-national game. We can disagree. We can discuss whether that is a worthwhile proposal or not all the same, but I mean, that's basically, you know, you could think of that as whether they did it or not. You know the whether it's you know affecting it or negotiating it or just the you know censorship through affect affecting change through the understanding of how things work as opposed to actually saying something. But I, I think that you first of all you're right that there are, are some real downsides there that are that are worth acknowledging. Um, but. I think where where I'm where I'm getting at with it is just the idea that changing the nature of how these entities, the the PA and the owners, think about this issue. Because you could make an argument that each one of them, depending on the math, and I, I wish I had enough data to like, especially financial data for the teams, to assess the viability of this idea.
0: That you and the Players Association both, I think. Yes,
1: I believe that's true. That. It, it, it might be that they're just holding on to something because they don't want to take the risk of seeing what it could be. And also, like, just from a really small point, to me at least, basketball is so much less built on the the accumulation of stats, meaning, like, total number of points in a career or three-pointers made. Yeah, there, there certainly are things and you know, three-pointers in a season and all, there would be some adjustments and all that type of stuff. But it's not, to me, like baseball where some of that stuff gets obsessed over or even – to an extent, football, which is talking about changing the their length of their season too. And yeah, I think, I think that just my hope is, I guess maybe this is just being a pragmatist and saying, I want a shorter season and I'm willing to take it however it will come. And yes, there might be downsides to this, but I'm willing to accept whatever bedfellows come with it. And we know how that could be a big problem.
0: Yeah, no, it's, I they think no, no. Think about that. Think about those things. Is what I'm saying. Like you right. know, your 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 goal may be noble, but you know, the ends <laughs> don't always justify the means. That sir. is that
1: is very very true. Uh, so the last thing I want to say very briefly, and people should read the piece that you did with John Hollinger on this, but. And, and I don't want to get too into the weeds with it. But I, a point that you guys brought up, which I think was so both so logical and intuitive and also so frustrating that A, I haven't voiced it enough and B, I don't think other people in our line of business, our line of work have, is that you wrote a great, you did a great piece on officiating. And I think it was, John, it might have been you who brought it up first, that a lot of the changes that have been, that the NBA has incorporated Com- the competition committee most notably have made life way harder for officials and that maybe yeah. that's something we should be taught we should like the league should be thinking about more instead of getting the calls right or anything like this is creating a circumstance where the game can actually be officiated
0: no i think that's i think that's right and like and again it's like getting you know if you're focusing it's it's focusing on the micro rather than the macro okay well we get this one narrow call right we've 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 made this one narrow call narrow act you know situation more accurately called but everything else is 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 worse so our net like in terms of like you know the fairness of adjudication of the game and the way the game just kind of flows as a spectator thing has gotten worse like have we helped something or have we have we kind of missed the forest for the one tree Um, and I, 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 like John was the one who brought that up, but I, I, you know, I wholeheartedly agree with it is that, you know, and this is, this is something we've talked about in terms of like the charge call, like the charge call is impossible to ref. Like the, 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 the charge circles, a good idea with like a nod towards player safety, but it actually is like made like calling it correctly, like almost a physical impossibility just because of the things that you need to be looking at are, you know, not in like the same really field of focus or vision to be able to see, all right, what was this was the guy set with his feet outside the, you know, our set in legal guarding position, which is the NBA version, not the, not the stationary, not stationary. Like the guy has to be in college note to NBA fans. You don't have, you can be moving and take a charge in college in, in the NBA. It's that it has ever been thus. Um, But anyway, you like whether guys in a legal guarding position with his feet fully outside the, the restricted area by the time the player who's seven feet away because he's an NBA caliber wing athlete has has, you know, gathered and jumped like how can one person can't possibly see both those things in real time or all those things in real time and then also when the inevitable collision happens now you're adjudicating whether you know the player with the ball pushed off with his off arm or you know whether the defensive player's arm came down or did they come down just because you know he got drilled in the chest so his you know, just simple like the simple like a, a, like like accordion logic of getting hit like center mass with your arms up. Like your arms are gonna come down. Is that a foul? Because I got trucked. Like you know, it's it, it's it's it, it it's taking what's already hard and making it impossible.
1: Right and. There, there. You and John did a really good job. There are whole conversations that should happen here, but I wanted to put that idea in listeners' minds. Read the piece first and foremost, and hopefully, we'll have another time to talk about it. But thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, you betcha. Thanks again to Seth Partnow for taking the time to come on. You can read him at The Athletic. You can also follow him on Twitter at Seth Partnow, S-E-T-H-P-A-R-T-N-O-W. Love having him on. So thankful that now I can actually do that. I mean, while it was great that he was working for the Bucks and, and everything else, I, I've loved having him as a guest for a long time. I already have a battle plan for next week, but as you know, I do not reveal my guests until we've recorded, just in case something falls through. I don't like disappointing you all. So you can stay tuned for that. It'll probably be on the early side next week, just depending on availability. If you want to support the show, there are so many different ways you can do it. You can... Leave a rating, leave a review, in the podcast player your choosing. It's great if it's Apple Podcasts, but I totally understand if it's not. And if you want to be super awesome, you can actually leave review both places if you use something different than Apple Podcasts. Also, spreading the word however you see fit, social media, in person, whatever makes you happy, and subscribing and downloading. That's incredibly important for a show like this that comes out on a different day of the week, and you can't really predict it, so you can't really get into a rhythm. That's a great way to support the show. But the most important thing for this podcast and any other that has them is check out our sponsors. BetOnline.ag. Use that Podcast One promo code for a 50% sign-up bonus. And CBS Sports HQ. Just download the CBS Sports app and whatever, really, whatever stream platform you use, your phone, whatever else, and you can check it out. If you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, DannyLaRueNBA at gmail.com is the way to voice that. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. I don't promise that I'll respond, though I genuinely do try to. And you can read my written work at The Athletic, have a couple things coming out in the near term. And then Dunked On is more of the daily what happened stuff. And uh, Nate and I are actually doing some big picture things as well because he's about to take a trip. So we pre-recorded a couple of shows. Um, and then I'm going to do news and all that fun stuff on top of it, so you can check that out too. A couple things that we've been asked to do for a while now that we finally got to for that, so you can check it out. And then my written work, it's it's going in a couple different directions, just as as things happen. I'm doing some big picture stuff for the athletic, and then having some team specific. You know, when I get a request, I, I put that in. So that's a lot of fun. Of course, you can also follow me on Twitter at Danny Larue. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.